0: Three-deckers, triple-deckers, you know them, you've seen them, I hope you love them. Maybe it's their compact frames, maybe it's their variably arranged porches, maybe it's just that they're as New England as throwing tea in a harbor. But after booming throughout the region in the 1800s and early 1900s, cities and towns turned on the historically immigrant and working class housing stock in the 1900s and instituted widespread bans. I'm Jennifer Smith, and this is the Codcast, Commonwealth Beacon's podcast about policy and civic life here in Massachusetts. Today, from inside my own beloved three-decker, we're talking about the latest swing at protecting and encouraging the classic structures. The Somerville City Council voted this winter to remove zoning restrictions that effectively banned building triple-deckers, letting them now be built as of right in the city. The move ushers in what proponents hope will be a new age of letting what is be and maybe even laying the groundwork for re-embracing and rethinking middle class multifamily housing in a state with one heck of a housing crunch. I'm joined by Somerville City Councilor Matt McLaughlin, who led the charge for the zoning reforms, and Jesse Canton-Beninov of Abundant Housing. Matt, Jesse, thank you for being here with me for a holiday housing podcast where the gift is new zoning.
1: Thanks for having having me. me.
0: So I'll apologize to our listeners right off the bat. I am in Dorchester, literally in a three-decker right now. And when I worked for the Dorchester Reporter, I went to an all-day conference about the history of three-deckers and uh, learned that indeed they were called three-deckers before they were called triple-deckers because they were initially named after the three-decker ships. All this to say, we are all housing God's children. Uh, Call them whatever makes you happy. I will be referring to them as three-decker, and I am sorry to anybody listening from Somerville who has a different opinion. How do you guys tend to refer to them?
1: Yeah, well, so yeah, I grew up in Somerville, and we call it a triple-decker, or I call it a triple-decker. I don't know where it came from. It's just um, what we call it, but in my my research, yeah, both are used.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I tend to say triple-decker as well. I don't know. It might be a Somerville thing. I I, I got my start uh, in housing working in Somerville, uh, and so that may be why I say it, but I certainly know that there's a lot of debate about it.
0: So let's start with kind of the funniest part to me or the most interesting part to me about this zoning change, which is it's basically saying, we already have these, these are a very common housing stock, and yet they weren't actually allowed to be built under current zoning. So, Matt, how did you find yourself kind of pursuing this change?
1: Well, so I've always been a big uh, fan of triple-deckers growing up in the city. I actually wrote a paper about triple-deckers myself when I went to school. Uh, and as a person with French-Canadian ancestry, I found it very interesting because French-Canadian carpenters came to New England and uh, made these triple-deckers or three-deckers, like you say, based off a boat. Uh, so it resembles like the three levels of a, sh- of a boat or a ship. Um, and they're everywhere. And I just always liked them because they're very unique to the region. Uh, there's not many other places outside of the Northeast that have these uh, these houses. And they really helped uh, create the middle class and the working class in the region uh, about a century ago. And as you mentioned, uh, they became banned Throughout the entire region, for really uh, classist reasons, uh, because people didn't want the working class in the neighborhood. And it's just interesting to see how they ebb and flow uh, in terms of just they started off as a step up for the working class, then they became seen as a blight, and now they're worth a million dollars a floor in some Mm -hmm. of them. Uh, So, what's the problem? So, we were trying to pass zoning well before the MBTA Communities Act, which is really the main reason we made this happen is to come in compliance with the MBTA Communities Act, which requires dense housing by transit. Uh, That's something I've supported, that's something Jesse has supported for a long time. And this seemed to be the killing two birds with one stone, or just the easiest solution to solve both problems, is we need to add density to the map. We like triple-deckers, and I find a lot of people who are resistant to development or resistant to uh, dense housing. Uh, they like the triple-decker because their attitude is that big, ugly building doesn't fit the community, and nothing fits the community more than a triple-decker, in my mind. Uh, so when this opportunity came up, several years ago, we tried to pass this, and it, we just didn't have the votes. And uh, to give credit to the Summable Planning staff, uh, they've been trying to do this for several years, but the votes were just never there. Uh, so they came up with the solution, and I advocated for it on the council level, and we had some turnover in counselors. And I think people just became more open to this idea. So even in Somerville, Mass, where we're very progressive when it comes to housing and trying to solve the housing crisis, a few years ago, this wouldn't have passed. And this year, it passed unanimously. And now I'm hoping that maybe the entire region will consider this.
0: So, Jesse, when you're thinking about the kind of blend of housing types in a healthy housing stock, where do three-deckers or triple-deckers fit into it? Because they're kind of a staple of New England housing, but they also tend to work pretty well in bringing density to, say, residential blocks. So where do they fit conceptually? Uh, Because then, of course, we can all talk about where they fit emotionally.
2: You know, I mean, I think the starting point is that we have an extreme housing shortage in Massachusetts, you know, anywhere from maybe 200 to 400,000 homes short just of of demand, let alone where we need to get to actually help decrease housing prices. So we have a lot of work to do and we need to build more homes across the state uh, for people of all income levels and a variety of types of homes. And certainly, you know, we've been building single family homes around our region for, you know, for a long time. Now, some cities mostly, you know, centered in the the urban core have have built large multifamily housing. Uh, As you know, Matt mentioned, the MBTA communities act might help um, bring some more of that to, to more communities around the region. But there's a, you know, there's a whole sort of, um, swath of housing uh in the middle what we call missing middle housing that's the type of homes that we used to build in massachusetts and around the country uh really like prior to, to world war ii and the you know post-world war ii expansion of the you know sort of sprawling single-family suburbs uh and that includes the triple decker um also you know maybe four or sixplex uh type buildings as as well and you know we used to do that in Massachusetts. We used to build the triple decker, and Matt talked very eloquently about you know how that became such an important type of housing um, for you know working class families in Massachusetts uh, or immigrants. And you know, I think one thing that's really important is that it's uh, it's a vernacular architecture. It's become sort of iconic. You know, identified with with Boston and, and Somerville, and and you see triple deckers even outside of the urban core, right? And you know, Worcester is uh, full of triple deckers as well, and, and you know, other parts of the state. So, um, you know, it's it's a way to talk about a type of housing that we haven't built uh, for a long time in Massachusetts, which has an important role to play in creating housing opportunity for for more people that isn't just now large luxury single family homes or the very large multifamily, um, you know, apartment types built near, near transit. And it's something that people can identify with. So it plays, I think, just such an important role um, in potentially meeting our region and our state's uh, housing needs. You know, I don't think the triple-decker is the be-all and end-all. We're not going to solve our housing crisis just by building triple-deckers or three-deckers, um, but it's a real important way Um, to advance the conversation about what are the variety of strategies that we could use um, to build the homes that Massachusetts desperately needs.
0: So Matt, thinking about kind of the long-term implications of this zoning change here, part of it is saying that this housing stock that we already have is fine like and we can build more of it but is the hope that there is suddenly kind of a boom in new three-deckers is there um, a hope that people might for instance add additional units to say two-unit housing how are you sort of seeing this in practice because we kind of know what we mean when we say classic three-decker but it's not saying that you have to have the stack 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 and then the three porches it's talking about the unit count right
1: yeah, so I um, I would love it if there was a boom in triple-deckers in Somerville and in the region. Uh, that's probably not going to happen. But at the very least, we allow something that exists to exist, which I think is really, really important. And yes, this isn't just about triple-deckers. What we did was to allow a third unit by right across the city, uh, which was really kind of a big deal a few years ago when we are trying to pass citywide zoning. That was the biggest sticking point. So I think what's most likely going to happen is if you have a two-family house, you can now add a third unit to it. And that's the most likely scenario, which should add to our housing stock. And I think if the whole region did this, then we'd be getting somewhere. So we kind of modeled that off places like Minneapolis that allow three three units on site everywhere. Somerville, the thing I see in my neighborhood, I represent East Somerville, almost everything is a three-family unit anyways. Uh, In most housing around here is already at least two units, but uh, a lot of three units, too. So it won't really have that profound of an impact in addressing the entire housing crisis. But it will allow for more units to get built. It will be less intrusive units. You won't need an entire lot, an entire block in order to build this housing. So you can do one at a time, small uh, sort of thing. It'll be residential community, so it's uh, building the neighborhoods more. Uh, so, it has a lot of solutions and it gets us in compliance with MBTA communities. And then, for me personally, I just remember one of the first times when I became a city councilor. Uh, we had a resident who wanted to build a third unit on their house, and the neighbors didn't like it. And as a good counselor, I thought it was my job to fight for the neighbors and against the developer. And I fought against the third unit. They won. And then a few years later, I see the neighbors. I'm like, oh, how's that third unit going? And they're like, oh, it wasn't a problem. I don't know why we ever thought of it. I fought it to begin with. So it was kind of taking the burden off me, taking the burden off the city to streamline this. Because it really shouldn't be a big deal to add a third unit. And for some reason, that was like the major sticking point with our citywide zoning. So I'm I'm glad we finally got over that. So no, it's probably not going to lead to a boom in triple deckers or even a huge influx of new housing in Somerville but there's a lot of other places that have a lot less housing than Somerville and a lot less dense that this could be even more useful in so i'm i'm hoping a lot of people copy Somerville these days and i'm proud of the fact people copy us so i'd like to see uh, more people copy Somerville on this
0: Jesse, how does that kind of, you know, discussion about where the resistance to kind of new units, even if it is sort of in line with a pretty staple housing stock, uh, how does that strike you? How do you see that kind of playing out in housing discussions across the state, kind of just on the unit count level? Because then we'll get into sort of where affordability gets into this
2: yeah i mean it's certainly one thing to have the conversation about you know essentially re-legalizing the triple decker in, in somerville or or you know in dorchester boston it's maybe another conversation uh to have that in some of i don't know the metro west uh suburbs um that tend to be large lot you know single family homes uh where yes they identify the triple decker as something they see when they drive through somerville or boston um, but not necessarily something that they are comfortable with in their community. And they, they sort of see the character of their community as different uh, than the type of community that, you know, has a historic stock of triple-decker homes. You know, I think that's, um, that's a problematic position. Uh, you know, as you know, Matt talked about a few minutes ago, uh, the sort of uh, banning of, of triple-deckers uh, historically was an anti-immigrant, an anti-working class uh, move. There is a reason why many suburbs that, you know, maintain large lot single family home uh, zoning, exclusive zoning, um, are, you know, selling single family homes for maybe, you know, as much as a a triple decker in in some communities. And, and why the, you know, racial, uh, ethnic and economic diversity of those communities is, is nowhere, you know, close to some of the communities that have had a diverse housing stock historically, like, like Somerville uh, or or Boston. So, you know, I I do hope Somerville is providing a model. I think certainly under the MBTA Communities Act, there is opportunity for more triple-decker-like housing to be legalized in a variety of communities in the MBTA region. Um, But I think it's going to be a tougher, and has already proven to be a, a tougher conversation in some of those places, for reasons that I think are problematic uh, at times and rooted in an exclusion, racism and classism.
0: I've been really interested uh, in thinking about three-deckers as not just kind of you a know, multi-family housing stock, but often they're talked about in terms of multi-generational housing stock. And that can come kind of with With a mixed bag there, uh, I know that the Globe in its Housing Spotlight series at one point um, or in one of its Racial Diversity series and Racial Equity series was talking about kind of how, historically speaking, it used to be that you could own sort of a property and then maybe your parents or like another generation would live in one of these other units. And so it was not only a place where someone could live, but you could also both house family and then also make some income by renting out another unit. So I'm curious to kind of both of you how you think about this housing stock's history as not just immigrant housing, but also generational housing. And then what happens when it's kind of increasingly viewed as something to kind of turn into maybe three condos uh, that are all kind of treated as independent apartments. So Matt, do you want to start there talking about sort of how your perception of kind of the the literal use of a three-decker has changed over time?
1: Yeah, well, uh, if we, I'll go back to the whole history, if you like. But uh, yeah, I basically, love that. yeah, I, I'll, I'll just start off because I, I am very fascinated by the history. So, you know, like a lo- during the Industrial Revolution, a lot of pe- immigrants from across Europe and Canada and th- around the world came to this region. Uh, and particularly the French Canadian boat builders and the carpenters came down here and uh, they modeled the triple decker um, uh, after a ship. And what it was, it was a step up for working class people from people working in the factories to have their own house, uh, separate from like the row housing, which was very popular at the time. So you had windows, you could see outside, you had three floors all to yourself. You could have live on the first floor and you could rent out the other two floors to subsidize yourself. Or you could have multi-generational housing, which is what happened. And that's something that I grew up with, too, as well. Uh, uh, in the back of my family house, there's a uh, nice lot there uh, that was an older gentleman who was there back when some was still farm country. And he had a wonderful backyard, a big field. And to subsidize his income, he created three triple-deckers. And that's where my teachers lived and a bunch of people in the neighborhood. Uh, so people would also have it. Uh, for their families and eventually they became so popular and the working class boomed and there was a uh, pushback against immigration Um, so people all across the region uh, basically banned these structures using exclusionary zoning which is something that's still done to this day uh, to basically discourage housing from being built and they basically blocked this out Uh, so but that only made the triple-deckers more lucrative because now if say in Boston a triple-decker burns to the ground, depending on where that place is, they can't rebuild the triple-decker. They have to build a two-family house because of what the zoning says. Uh, So that's how they restricted it. And now the triple-deckers that do exist, people don't want to tear them down because they'll lose that second unit. So they gut them, make them into a condo. I I don't live in a triple-decker, but I live in a three-family house. All three floors are condos. I'm the only owner-occupied unit there. Uh, The other two are condos that people rent out for profit. Uh, So I expect that's what's going to happen. And, you know, I would love to see a world where people had three generations of their family living in one house. I think that's not typical, period, regardless of what the triple-decker is now. Like, just family dynamics have changed. Uh, But I think the more likely scenario is, yeah, you have three different floors with three different people living in it, but that still solves a problem. It, It adds housing to the region and it has this added bonus of a historic structure that is valued in the community and that people don't, at least in my mind, most people don't view it as a blight anymore. They view it as a unique characteristic to the region. So it adds housing and it says what is, can be. And that's important as well, because when we first passed our zoning, one of the things the city kept driving at is like 90 something percent of the city uh, housing was illegal under the zoning code. You could not rebuild this housing um, if it burned down. You had to go by the old zoning code. So we finally got to a place where we pulled out the map and said, these things exist. We should allow them to exist.
0: One of the kind of points of controversy throughout this process is tied to another crisis, which is not just housing crisis writ large, but also the affordable housing crisis. We have pretty severe shortages of wait lists on public housing, a serious enough shortage of affordable housing in general that it's compounding a shelter crunch right now because there's nowhere for anyone to move into, so it's just a a whole big mess, but It's been very interesting to me thinking about how that ends up interacting with kind of smaller unit count properties. Generally, when we require, for instance, a certain amount of affordable housing to be built, it's after something reaches a certain unit count. So Jesse, again, kind of looking at Somerville's policy of, you know, letting what is B. Um, and then thinking about ways that maybe the state could build on that or improve or tweak it to kind of accommodate the fact that it's not just looking at small unit houses on their own, but also how do you incorporate affordability into smaller unit count buildings in sort of a way that doesn't uh, end up throwing the ratio way off?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the example from from Somerville and these and these recent changes are are, are really telling. And the fact is that when Somerville had sort of a mandate that one of the three units had to be affordable, Um, nothing was was getting built. That sort of equated to about a 33% inclusionary zoning mandate for triple deckers and and, and nothing came of that. Uh, Mandating that level of affordability, you know, I think doesn't, doesn't work. That's not to say Somerville hasn't done a lot to try to address the affordable housing a crisis and and sort of decrease of affordability of of the city. Um, Certainly there's a lot of work in Somerville. Uh, You know, I used to work for the Somerville Community Development Corporation that built a lot of uh, affordable, you know, moderate and low income housing in the city. There's a strong housing authority that's doing a major redevelopment of the Clarendon Hill public housing out in West Somerville. There's a 20% uh, inclusionary zoning mandate for larger buildings in Somerville, which has meant more affordability Uh, in like developments in in Union Square and other places. And so a lot is going on, but to apply these affordability mandates to such small unit counts, I think the example, you know, here demonstrates that it doesn't work and we need to focus on affordability strategies uh, in other ways. You know, I think, you know, the governor has a very ambitious housing bond bill that she's proposed, you know, trying to inject $4 billion into affordable housing programs to increase the the stock of affordable housing around the state and to make market rate housing more affordable. And I think that's a really important piece of it. I think there's uh, pretty much a consensus in the social science research, looking at real world examples from uh, around the United States and around the world, that adding more homes uh, and, you know, exceeding the demand uh, for homes in housing markets really does not only help to uh, stabilize prices, but in some examples, has actually reduced the cost of housing. We're, we're not there yet in Massachusetts. Uh, Somerville sort of re-legalizing the triple-decker, the, the housing bond bill, you know, MBTA Communities Act, they're all sort of pieces to that puzzle to reach the level of production of new homes that we need to, to stabilize and, and reduce prices in the state. But through changes like this, and particular, other statewide zoning reforms um, that allow a variety of homes to be built in more communities, I, I think we can get there. So to expect legalizing the triple-decker alone to create vast affordability, I don't think is going to be there. But as, as Matt said, it's you know, creating more homes in building types that people nowadays like and, and they think is something that makes somerville boston cambridge you know our region special it's a, it's a vernacular architecture so one really important uh step in in i think that that broader affordability conversation
0: Matt, what did you learn from kind of what happened last time a few years ago with the kind of re-legalization effort that didn't just include kind of the affordability requirement, but also, um, if I recall, uh, also was aiming for kind of a visual consistency, saying like you had to build it near other similar housing stocks. So how did that end up also playing out? Uh, the idea of, of you're legalizing it in part because it's already here. But then there's there's a reading of that that says, well, you should only ever then build it in places where it already exists. There's a little bit of a f- like fun paradox going on.
1: Well, something Jesse alluded to or I'll attribute to myself so he doesn't have to take credit for it. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I learned, yeah, I'm very proud of the fact that we have the 20 percent inclusionary rate in Somerville. It's the highest in the state. Uh, one of the things I realized through this, though, is it's not just, you know, old conservatives who like anti-immigrant or anti-working class people who are afraid of change. There is kind of a progressive uh, anti-housing element to things sometimes. And when I, I see something like, you know, a 33% inclusionary rate on a three-family house, which is something I supported, uh, agreed it with, but it didn't work. And it, it became clear to me that, you know, sometimes people advocate for the toughest thing because they don't want to see it happen at all. And that's what happened with the third unit, which uh, there was this kind of whisper campaign to stop a third unit period citywide that succeeded. Uh, then we had the triple decker, which was allowed by right. And people said it can only be next to another triple decker. And just kind of like crawling it, trying to limit it and contain it as much as possible. And even when it came down to the affordable third unit, so our rule for a while was you can build a third unit, but it has to be affordable and it could be a high income affordable, so middle-class housing. Um, When they said that this might build thousands of units, people got scared. And people like me were like, oh, that's great. We're talking thousands of inclusionary units. This will be amazing. Uh, We had three people express interest. Zero people ever followed through on it. So it became clear that this just isn't happening. And something I tell people, uh, when I'm pursuing other z- uh, zoning changes, trying to increase the housing stock, people would like to see the inclusionary rate go up. And I tell them that, you know, that like I don't, I'm don't, i not a person who believes that the free market is going to solve our problems with this because the market in a lot of ways is a cause of the problem. Uh, but there is something to be said about making housing so difficult to create that it has an impact on the cost and it has an impact on our supply. And something like not allowing a triple-decker is just the most symbolic aspect of that, that you can't even build a house that's unique to this region, that uh, everybody sees everywhere, and you can't even do that here. And because of that, that's why we supported these changes. And again, I do think there's a small step for Somerville, but if every city in the region allowed a third unit or allowed a triple-decker even, Uh, we would get further in the fight uh, to address affordable housing.
0: I think the last thing that I want to leave you both with is sort of what a three-decker of the future, looks like. I've been really interested in some kind of pilot programs that have gone on in different areas of Boston and other regions saying, well, you know, can we think about the construction costs? Can we think about kind of uh, using prefab or modular units to create something that's kind of like a three-decker? Thinking about greening buildings? Because One of the things that was true of earlier three-deckers was, you know, they were pretty affordable to build, and that, of course, got weaponized against them. People called them, like, fire traps and all of that stuff. But it's going to be harder to build affordable three-deckers now, in part because of the housing crunch, in part because of the housing costs, inflation. We can just list reasons forever. So long wind up to the short question, which is, what's interesting to you about what a three-decker might look like? in the future, what it might incorporate, what it might represent?
1: Well, I'd say uh, first, I'd say that the triple deck is already a pretty unique building. Um, and there's very many variations to it. Uh, I wasn't just working class tenement housing. Uh, some people really classed them up and made them look like Victorian design. And uh, they had all sorts of different elements to them. That uh, was really a step up for people like people. This was not a slum. This was moving into the middle class. Um, And I think now, yeah, the cost is still going to be there, but it is a fairly cheap house to make. um, And it doesn't require a whole block to build. You don't need to build Assembly Row, you just need to build a house. So I think, again, it's not going to solve the housing crisis. It's just one of many steps. And to know that, like, there are places in the greater Boston area that would not allow a third unit as a right, and even Somerville, progressive Somerville just a few years ago would not have supported this. That has something to do with this.
2: Yeah, and I think that the, you know, this conversation around triple-deckers, three-deckers is uh, an important entree uh, into the broader conversation um, around missing middle housing in in greater Boston and and throughout the Commonwealth. Um, You know, it may be that, you know, the triple-decker makes sense in some communities In other communities, adding additional units might make the most sense through accessory dwelling units, another type of lower cost to build housing that homeowners or individual, you know, residents can can do on their properties. In some communities, it may be like putting uh, two triple-deckers together, right? We have the the side-by-side triple-decker. Uh, sort of a sub vernacular of the greater Boston uh, triple decker. So, um, and then probably other creative things that people who are more smarter, more creative than, than I could come up with. But I just think having the triple decker, you know, as the vernacular in greater Boston and Massachusetts opens up a whole conversation around, we need a lot more homes. We need, sure. We need developers, larger developers to build apartments um, but we also need homeowners to have the right to, to add some new units. And it might take different forms in different communities, but the triple decker provides a, a sort of framing or a start for that conversation uh, throughout the state.
0: Thanks again to Somerville City Councilor Matt McLaughlin and Jesse Kenson Beninov for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Smith. Our producer is John Gee. Leave a rating and review wherever you're hearing this now if you want to help other folks find us, and email codcast at commonwealthbeacon.org if you ever want to get in touch. We'll be back in your ears next week. Happy 2024, everyone.